This is Lee. Good morning. Oh, good afternoon now. Good afternoon. It's uh, two, second Tuesday of the month, 4 o'clock. That's time for Boat Talk here on Community Radio WERU-FM Blue Hill 89.9 and at WERU.org. I'm Alan Sprague here with co-host John Johansson to talk about anything naval. And, of course, you can add, too, this is a phone-in phone show. The number is 469-0500 if you'd like to call in. But we're going to start off first with John giving us the boatyard report, and then who knows where we can go from there. You you can help, 469-0500, right after John gets done with the boatyard report. Okay. Uh as usual, I've been into several boat shops. I went into Artisan Boat Shop this uh, past month, and that was in Rockport. I don't know how many of you know Artisan. They got an interesting boat under construction. It's a 21-foot offshore cruiser, uh, no through hulls, and it's made for going around the world. Unstayed mast. Uh, the, most of the, uh, the design was done by Tom McNaughton down in Eastport, who originally comes from Winterport, and all of the uh, parts and pieces were cut over at Usen Company and then taken over to Artisan and put together. They've also got, an, uh, they're doing a deck repair on an item scow, which is a popular boat on the Great Lakes. But uh, she's up in, I believe she's up in uh, New York State, and she's getting a whole new deck this year. Uh, then I went to, uh, oh, Brooklyn Boatyard's got the usual, as some of you that follow it on Facebook, Steve White has actually stepped away as president. Brian Larkin is now president, and uh, they've got just an immense amount of work in there. Uh, the big motor sailor is out. Uh, she's been in there probably the last two winters, having deck work done and interior work uh, finished off. Uh, but now that uh, this 255 wheeler is going to be built, and the Boteen boat is still in there, and she'll probably get moved out sometime soon. The hull's done, and that's uh, basically what they're doing is now putting in the uh, interior uh, pieces. Uh, went into Eaton's Boat Shop. That's on Deer Isle. Jeff Eaton and his brother Tim, uh, they're finishing off a 30 Calvin hull. For a couple that is uh, cruises up and down the Hudson River, mostly the upper part of it. And they wanted a little bigger boat because they were using a Mitchell Cove 20. Uh, we're not sure they realize how much bigger boat they're getting. Because uh, some of these, uh, there was two stories this uh, month that were kind of interesting. Uh, one from Bruce Farron. Uh, young Bruce uh, was working on a 46 uh, Muscle Ridge. And he noticed that there was somebody watching him. And he says, can I help you? And the guy says, well, I'm Chris. And he goes, Chris, who owns this boat? He goes, yes, but give me a minute. He really didn't realize what he had bought. Hmm. Now, he's a very capable person because in the military, he drove landing ship tanks, which are LSTs. So he knows boats, but he just didn't realize <laughs> what he was getting. So this, this spring could be interesting when they launch that boat. You can tell them it might shrink when it gets in the water. Yeah, right. <laughs> 
And then uh, at Ferrin's Boat Shop, they had that 46 underway. She was a, pretty much a cruiser uh, down below, fully finished out, head, shower, you know, uh, probably four uh, berths for the family because uh, he was going to use it for commercial fishing and taking the uh, family up and down the West Coast. So she's being shipped all the way to California. There's a 42 that's up in the forward uh, part of the shop, and she's being finished out also as a cruiser slash sport fisherman. Uh, then Pademco, they've got all kinds of boats going in there. Mostly they're doing a lot of repair work. They've got three of their 23s being done, and they're also doing a, a major repair on a Ca uh, Carolina skiff that basically was coming apart. She was used very he in heavy construction, <laughs> and so she needs to be heavily constructed now. So they're actually adding in bulkheads and stuff so that she's real, real sound. Uh, Jock Williams has got an interesting project. They've got a 40 uh, Willis Beale uh, RP hull. And uh, that's actually been bought by a summer resident who wants to leave it looking just like a commercial boat, but he's now putting in a full uh, interior in it. So it will be kind of made into a yacht, even in because it's split wheelhouse. And they've also had to repair the uh, platform and put down another coat on top of the platforms. And then they've got uh, another boat in there that uh, they actually, it's a sailboat, they actually had to take the whole deck off the boat and rebed it. And then they've basically gone through boat stem to stern. She's been in there two years. They finally got the engine, the engine's in, and she's in place, and so she'll be going in the water this spring. Uh, one of the things, places I stopped at that I haven't stopped at, and it's always been a mistake, I went into Lowell's Boat Shop. And most people have heard of Lowell's Boat Shop, not the Lowell's that we all know here in Maine that do lobster boats. This is the Lowell's from Amesbury, Massachusetts. And it was interesting to go in there and see the production and how many dories they used to build a year. How about 2,000 dories in one year going out the door? How, how many employees did they have at that time? They didn't know? have. They, did, they only had like eight. But what they thought was going on was that they were losing, they were big carriage manufacturers in Amesbury, mm -hmm. big, big companies that built all the parts and pieces for, horse, uh, for the carriages. Mm -hmm. And so they, when the cars came in, they were so starting to switch over to do automobiles, but they also thought they geared up to do the cutting the parts and the pieces for the dories, ship the parts and the pieces over to them, and they just throw them together. Mm. Now, there's no uh, you know, confirmation of that. But they also do the Mohonk skiff, which goes to Mohonk. It's a uh, kind of like a summer camp up in upper state New York. So they do all of that. So they had a couple of those in there. And they're also training some kids to come in and learn boat building. Huh. So they had an Good. apprentice building one of those. And then they had another set of apprentices, mostly high school kids, doing a, a Haven 12 and a half. And then I, uh, today I just stopped in at Long Cove Marine that's on Deer Isle. Uh, they're just swamped with engine work. Just line the boat, line the lobster boats up, and see how many engines we can change in a year. Total rebuilds. Some of them, you know, uh, swapping in new engines. Some of the engines are coming out being rebuilt. But also, when you do a lot of engine work like that, you also got to do hull work because sometimes there's things that let go. The motor mounts don't match. You, uh, yeah. There's a lot of things that don't match, and yeah. some of them have gone from wet exhaust to dry exhaust, that sort of thing. Yeah. And then I was in Peter Buxton's shop. That's the last stop I made today. And he's, start, uh, he's got the keel all cut, 
put together. He had to go to all the way down to Connecticut. Took him 850 miles. He did it in one day <laughs> to get the black locust. And it was a beautiful piece of wood. Ooh. Not a knot in it. Huh. And so he's got all the stations cut. He was Today he was putting in the rabbit line. So he was cutting in the pockets, and then he was going to cut out the uh, in between it. And he said that would be done by tomorrow. So that's basically what's going on on the coast. That's, that's yeah, that's a lot of work going on. I'm, there is. It's yeah. unbelievable. They claim there's a recession, but prove it. Yeah. You know, because there's just incredible amount of work. I wonder how... Uh, that would compare to the national average of, of boat builders. I'll bet you Maine is ahead of the curve. It may be. I mean, we went down quite a bit when they started messing around with some of the laws and regulations on whales. Mm. But that seems to be bouncing back. Some of the guys feel a little better. So, you know, some of that work is, you know, rekindled. But uh, there's still some of the boats that were ordered aren't ordered anymore. They've canceled some of those orders. Mm. So some of the repair work is filling in those gaps but the pleasure boat is a filling in too a sport fisherman there's a lot of that huh. out there to be done so yeah well i remember when covid started and and a lot of people kind of thought buying a boat was a good way to go to get a little <laughs> bit of a isolation and your comment was that there's going to be a lot of used boats for sale in a year or two there uh, were some of that yeah there was one that only made it a year. I remember hearing the story about that down <laughs> southern Maine. Because he, yeah. he finally figured out how much it was costing him and how little he used it. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I had a customer whose wife just threw up her hands and says, can't do this without a real kitchen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so um, Golden Globe, you covered that quite uh quite extensively in the last issue and now I see you got the new issue out now too. Yeah, there's uh, a lot more in there. <laughs> oh, man. It's a pretty a pretty amazing story. I bet you she's going to be up for the uh, Rolex uh, Sailor of the Year award. I don't know. Usually they pick a racer for that, which is too bad. Well, she is racing. She is racing, <laughs> but you know, they they do the small boat racers that sort of thing. Yeah. But uh, it is interesting to see, you know, how well she's doing in the race. She's now in first. She's about 300 miles ahead as the last time I checked, which was this morning. Mm-hmm. And the guy behind her, he, they had a big storm last week. And it was horrendous. It was in the 60 to 70 mile an hour mm-hmm. with confused seas and heavy seas. Yeah. And he, he got knocked down twice. He's fine. The boat's fine. But he says it's kind of messy down below which you can imagine everything getting tossed everywhere. Yeah. But uh, she's doing well. I mean, she should round Cape Horn in the morning. Because mm-hmm. I figure she's only a couple of miles from Cape Horn, a couple of hundred miles from Cape Horn. Yeah. I heard that she had trouble with one of her spinnaker poles. Right. So let's explain what a spinnaker pole is or how she has actually twin head sails. Right. So that's um, basically a... A big fat jib, one next to each other, sort of. So the the pointy, the back pointy end of the jib it goes off of one side on, on one of the head stays, and the other head stay, the pointy end of the jib goes off the other side of the boat. So you're actually just like a big balloon pulling mm-hmm. you downwind. Um, can be a bit rough to control the boat sometimes if your wind gets large, um, but. 
So she's using the spinnaker to she was using a spinnaker to pull to put about push him out. Yep. And uh, I guess she said it was just a uh, it wasn't broken. It was just it must have been fastener failure or something. It just uh, wore out. <laughs> so she's a little bit handicapped. I don't know if she was able to repair that pole or not. But well, last time last night she was still doing over six knots. That's pretty good for down right. there. Yeah. You know, the whole test is going to be coming up the Atlantic, mm-hmm. you know, because you can fall in a hole out there and be there for two or three days sitting, you know, watching the flying fish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have them flop on deck. Um, right. They taste good with lemon. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was one. told that by one of the French racers oh, really? in one of the BOC. Yeah. Well, those French lead anything. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, the first place guy broke his wind vane. Right. Yeah. And, um, it was a shaft. Yeah. It? We're here with um, uh, people who are very familiar with wind, wind vanes. Uh, <laughs> Kane Smith and wife Sheila, who have been around the world on the boat that you built, uh, for, what, 20 years ago now, huh? Uh, yes. Yeah, I was back in the year. Uh, we launched it in 89. After five years of building her, and then we sailed off in early of 91. And you had a, a, a self-steering or a wind vane, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, yeah, we had an Aries, Aries which, yeah. which British make, which worked really well. So yeah. basically, to describe how they work, there's a little wind vane on the top of it that can tell which direction the wind is coming from, mm-hmm. and then you're able to adjust the lower part, the rudder part, into the water at a angle so that it holds the boat at that angle, whatever it is, pointing to the wind, mm-hmm. as long as things don't get too wild. Yeah, it has what you call a servo pendulum gear, and the vane at the top, you can adjust that to the angle you want it, and then the same thing with the, the rudder, to, and then you tie it off to your main wheel, your main steering wheel, mm-hmm. and uh, make adjustments depending on your course heading. So the boat will just keep on going, that heading, you can go downstairs and take a snooze. Right, yeah. right. It's, it's good in most conditions except real light weather. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in storms, it works great, too. Yeah. And the other side of that coin is I had a friend who was a boat delivery captain who had a, what they call a proximity alarm on his radar whenever mm-hmm. an object would come in within a, oh, yeah. a mile or half a mile of the the boat, the radar would start beeping. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'd just turn that on and go down below and just let things, not even pay attention to where the boat is going as long as nothing's going to bump in front of it. He, he set the autopilot to head north, and, <laughs> and here you go. But uh, I think the uh, the actual wind vanes are a little bit more, um, they take some tweaking and a little attention, and you can't just set it and forget it. Right, right, yeah. So... That has, that wind vane gear has a main shaft that goes from the the wind part down to the water part, and the guy who was in first place broke that shaft. Is that right. right? Yeah. yeah, he's fixed it now. He's he's already le- departed yeah. Chile. Y- yeah, he had oh. to go on mm-hmm. to into a port and yeah. get, get it mm-hmm. fixed. But yeah, I can't remember which port it was. It wasn't a big port. That. That shaft, um, Lee, must be, what, four or five feet long? Not a really big object, um, but apparently he didn't want to bring one just because they're trying to save weight. And then Yeah, that's about the size of it, I would say. It's different designs depending on yeah. uh, how, how much freeboard you got and everything. Huh. Um, 
but you got to have one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, especially if you're single-handling. Right. You know, it would be kind of ridiculous without one. And right, yeah. You You'd never know tired. where you're going at night if you didn't have one. Yeah. You might hear weird noises if you're falling asleep and the late, late night shift or something, yeah. And yeah. especially yeah. in the Devil's Triangle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You could, uh, I, I think it was the guy who's in second place now uh, said he woke up out of a very deep sleep very suddenly and it was kind of startled him. He went up on deck to see where he was and, and realized he was about 600 yards from running into a cliff. Mm. Cool. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah, I, I used to have, um, on a previous boat years ago, I always tell the crew, you know, if you, you know, stay on top, keep observing the horizon, but if you go below to do something like make coffee or something, don't stay down too long. Uh -huh. And he was down there slowly making his coffee, and I was asleep in my bunk. And, and it was the most loudest or intense I've ever heard my name screamed. <laughs> and I jumped up waking up, figured something's up. Popped my head up, and a freighter was just going. The hull was just cruising by us. Ooh. It just clipped the spreader, and, and, and we, the wave kind of, the weight kind of pushed us off a little bit. So we just bumped it gently. And, I yelled at him to pay off. He'd been up there a little too long, and it was a, yeah. when he went below. The horizon was a little bit rough, so the, wave conditions can be. Was this at night? No, it was at dawn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but so, still, the freighter yeah. probably still had his lights on. Yeah, know. and he was on an odd route, so it was like in the middle of. He was found out later he was going from Alaska to Europe and out the middle Atlantic, north of Bermuda, huh. and um, yeah, it was a Chinese cook was dumping trash over the stern was right as he looked down and saw us and kind of looked like, what are you doing there? And the crew member looked up, <laughs> and, what are you from? doing there? <laughs> Luckily, we, we actually broke our bowsprit, and we were able to, when we got to Bermuda, um, find a piece of wood to replace it with. Mm -hmm. uh, there wasn't much wood in Bermuda, but we found a piece. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it's all imported there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It wasn't just a piece of wood either. It was probably, what, locust yeah. or... Yeah. You know, yeah. But, uh, yeah, you definitely don't want to, you know, if you don't have any electrical warning of ships, because sometimes they'll be on autopilot and they'll be playing cards somewhere and they won't even be looking at the radar. So they're just going blindly out in the middle of nowhere. And, right. And, and, yeah. you, know, well, you don't want to be blind, too. Yeah, they're going on the gross tonnage rule. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you weighs the most wins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, John, are you aware of the... Uh, what is it? The uh, another boat, big high-powered boat race. That um, oh, the ocean one. Yeah, the ocean one with the with and the open sixties, the Amokas. This woman who I guess she set a new record for females the last time she was in this race, a new round-the-world record for a female. Um, the people who um, own the boat, these boats are very expensive. Oh, this is Ellen MacArthur. Yeah, she's uh, from Great Britain. Yeah. She's she's been fired. <laughs> What'd she do? Uh, they're afraid that she's going to suffer from motherhood because she had a baby last year, and they don't think that she's going to be able to handle being away from the baby for that long. So they they don't know single-handed people very uh, well, do they? they <laughs> and, uh, well, and there's also the male-female thing. I mean, uh, what about the husband being away from a baby for that long? They don't seem to have a problem with that. No, most of them want to be. <laughs> That's another story. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I remember because she did really well in one of the Vendees. Yeah, the Vendee three, Globe. I think yes. she was like three times ago. Yeah, she so she, almost twelve uh, years ago. It was the last one, I believe, that she sent. The I don't right. think she was in the last one. Okay, well, I think it was either two times or three times ago. Oh, okay. That she was there, but she but she did really well. She, she was just, she has the record for the female fa- fastest right. female around the world. There was one of the last one that was very close, or probably would have beat her record, but she broke her boat just as she came around the Falklands, and she was doing really, really well. So it'd be interesting to see. If that record stands in the next one, I bet you she's somebody's going to volunteer another boat for her. Just, oh, could be. just to show them. Yeah, there's a couple of them that have already got new boats. Yeah. So uh, the phone number too, if you'd like to join this conversation, is four six nine zero five zero zero. If you'd like to make a call in, or you can also connect by going to um, w e r u dot no no going to boat talk. Boat Talk, B-O-A-T-T-A-L-K, at gmail.com, and send a Gmail uh, email les- message if you'd like to. <laughs> G, G. <laughs> so, what um, is, <clears throat> excuse me, what is the round world record now that she has? Probably she, for a woman. For a woman, yeah, yeah. If she holds fat, the record uh, for a woman. And I can't remember, uh, it's, it's under 100 days. Under 100, wow. Yeah. I know that those crossing the Atlantic records got broken real big. They were riding the fronts across. Oh, yeah. The last was few it years. Comanche did it, what, in five days? Yeah, something like that. Can yeah, you imagine? It must have been like a submarine. <laughs> Flying. Well, it had to be wet. I mean. Yeah. Wet and cold, too, because yeah. they go around real close to the to the, yeah, they do the rum line. Yeah, because They do the rum line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, thank you. I, did, this, I can't understand how some of these people... Can <laughs> call themselves I don't think it's rational. <laughs> Some of them, they just like it. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like fi- a lot of fishermen. I mean, how many people wouldn't go out there and fish in the middle of winter or go scalloping and yeah. you know when it's nasty? But a lot of those guys, they just love to fish. Yeah, they do. And they frostbite their fingers. Oh, that's just part of the game. It is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds like Captain Blackburn. You know about him? He lost his fingers. Okay, we ha- we have a phone call. This yes. is the <laughs> finally oh. the, the a phone call from uh, from another old boat talk phone caller before the days of the COVID. And we'll say welcome to Fred Tenants Harbor. Welcome, Fred. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to boat talk. Hey, I got a real uh, yeah history history uh, question uh, about the school bus so somewhere in the world that was being uh, turned oh. into a hope. The builder uh, hoping to go around the world in a school bus. Yes, yeah. Um, I think I'm the only person here who can remember that. Um, <laughs> Giff- Giffy would be here too. He he was part of that that issue. Giffy Full was involved in that. Uh, well, he talked with the person who was doing it. Here's the story. Um, <laughs> the guy who uh, is making the around the world school bus, um, he invented. Um, uh, the dimmer, uh, the, what do you call it, the variable speed windshield wiper thing or something. Oh, uh, well, well, well. He yeah, made yeah. a bunch of money anyway. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, so he he made a, uh, took one of his projects and made a car into an amphibious car by, you know, welding it all the spots and everything. So it was basically waterproof. And that worked pretty well. So then um, 
I guess he's apparently somewhat religious, and he decided that he wanted to go to Egypt. And the best way he could figure to go to Egypt was to convert a school bus to be uh, aqueous like the car he had made. Well, well, well. Um, He knows nothing about oceans at all. He lived in the Mississippi River, and he welded this uh, big plow-shaped V in the very front of the school bus to be a a wave breaker of sorts. Uh, Doesn't understand hobby horsing at all. <clears throat> but he was quite mechanically minded, so he did actually float this school bus in the Mississippi River and uh, didn't have the engine hooked up yet, but uh, it floated for a while. <laughs> and took some pictures and then hauled it back out to, to finish things. Uh, but in the meantime, apparently he had a rather uh, ugly divorce. And, uh, so he needs the school bus. So the wife got the school bus. <laughs> <laughs> Is that payback? Uh, I, I think it was payback because she had it cut up. Oh, <laughs> yep. Jesus Christ. Wow. So, uh, yeah, he didn't, didn't make it to the ocean, but I, I, I'm kind of glad it did because there's no, yeah. no way that could. <laughs> yeah. We could give him another one. I see him on my roots all the time, <laughs> old school buses. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, thanks for the rest of the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, it was kind of a sad story, really, yeah, actually. Yeah. And, uh, um, oh, my God, oh, my God. Hey, love your program, and uh, keep it coming. All right, well, thank you, Fred. <laughs> okay, take care. <laughs> yeah, that's 469-0500 if you'd like to call in the Boat Talk, too. Now, um, is, do you happen to know if Giffy Full is still up here? No, no, he's, he's he goes he's to Florida. He's down in Palm Beach. Yeah. He's on a horse farm that's owned by his daughter and her husband. And I guess it it's I guess it's unique cuz it helps a lot of challenged yeah. young yeah. people. Yeah. And yeah. I think she's bought places up here if I'm not mistaken. I think Giffy said that she's got places up here now too. I bet you Giffy would be pretty good with kids. I don't think he does anything with horses. He kind of <laughs> insinuated to me that he was nope, that wasn't his uh, thing. Okay, yeah. But he goes and he builds things for them. Uh, yeah, you know, but yeah, I know he'll stay he down. He can't sit still. No, because he's he'll be back up here in March. Okay, yeah, we'll have to talk with him next month about the Annie Bray scholarship fund that he started. Right, that's another interesting thing. It's a scholarship for uh, women to go to learn how to sail. And so, it um, we're talking about women today quite a lot. It's a good thing, but um, it's Valentine's Day. What'd you say? Valentine's Day. Va- oh, right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I got some flowers in my truck to take home. <laughs> so um, we do have another phone call. Let's go to Trent from Trenton. Welcome, Trent. Yes. Welcome to Boat Talk. Oh, man. I haven't called in a long time, but I want to say something about Mike Joyce and some of the storytelling I have told him about being on the water. Church, he called it. Ah, <laughs> uh, that is correct. I've sailed the six of the seven continents. And I did not do that on a bus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad, Trent. Oh, uh, I have a question, though. 
I remember when you were broadcasting the adventures of Stink Pot. Oh, Stink Pot, yes. Yep. That's um, Dave Rowe. Dave Rowe and his wife, Tracy. Yeah. Yeah. They they did the Great Loop. You know what the Great Loop is? Yeah. Yeah. They I'm kind of familiar. I haven't done it all, but I did part of it. Yeah. I think it must be a, an education. You know, I I can relate to being a kid when I used to ride in railroad or trains, and the trains would go through sort of the backside of cities. You saw the sort of the, the the not the glitzy side. And I think of touring through canals. You might get that same effect too. Sometimes going through uh, the more industrial parts of cities. Probably, yeah. And if I were to say these words, Mark Twain, because I know what that they mean. Yeah, Mark Twain. We could use him right now. Yeah. He wrote some interesting oh. stuff. <laughs> Mark Twain, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, it's interesting if you go back in some of his more obscure writings, <laughs> some that he did in the magazines. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah. I, oh, yeah. I, 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 and Herman Melville was even better. For little one-liners, you mean? Well, not so well, much, but some of the stories. kind of got that right. And even, you know, because Melville kind of took a twist when he met, met up with Hawthorne, Nathaniel Hawthorne from Salem. Because mm -hmm. Hawthorne mm -hmm. got uh, implicated in that murder with uh, uh, Cleopatra's barge. The Crown and Shields. Oh yes, they the murdered Captain White. There was oh, two, yes, two of the, yes, two of the boys. Yes. And you know who Edgar Allan Poe is? He turned it uh, into the I've Telltale never Heart. Never before either. But <laughs> you're right. <laughs> now I got to say something else about Mark Twain. Being a sailor myself, how much water you have under the keel? Mark Twain. That's in Fathom. That's how we yeah, got Yeah, you got Twain. That means you have that much water under your keel. Twain is in, as in middle. Correct? Yeah. Yep. I just remember that from a long time ago. So... Trent, thank you very much for calling in. You have kind of a, hit a sore spot talking about Mike Joyce, but I guess we'll we'll have to learn to live with that. Oh, I love telling stories to, 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 to Mike about Mike what was I've done. a master of stories, that's for sure. Well, he did a lot. Oh, my God. But anyway, anyway, sail on, sail on, sailor. <laughs> thank you. Yes. All right. Thank you, Trent. So tell me some of your stories. You must have plenty of stories from being out there. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Endless. You mentioned church, and I was thinking we started, we started a church at sea called the Church of All Sloops. Very catchy. We drink schooners. <laughs> catchy with a K, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Stories, yeah. Oh, my God. Um, any particular one you... You uh, have any uh, rogue wave stories? 
Uh, we had one uh, wood gale off South Africa, um, and uh, our boat was pretty dry mostly, but it, it was pretty, oh, I don't know, 20-foot seas coming in, but it, we were, we were hove to sort of off the coast with a little ways on the banks, so we didn't want to go too far out or too far in. But there was one wave that came over, and I had my harness mm -hmm. on, I was out in the cockpit, and it just devoured over me and splashed through the cockpit. And Sheila went and opened up the hatch to see what was going on. <laughs> what are you doing out there? <laughs> and it was the wrong time because part of the water went down underneath oh, her. Yeah. And Chowder was down below scurrying by. And he got soaked. <laughs> she got soaked. And uh, one of the few times water came below. And uh, not the time to open a hatch. Chow Chowder being the ship's cat. Yeah, yes. Right, Chowder, right. yeah. So, um, so tell me but, about the design of your boat. Who designed it? Uh, John Simpson, he's out of Vancouver. Yeah. And uh, I had looked at a number of designers and finally settled on him. And uh, I put decided on the parameters of what I wanted for the design. And we worked together, and he pretty much did yeah. it all. And, and yeah. Did we have another phone call, so we'll uh, break uh, in for that. Sure. We have Graham from Round Pond calling in. Good afternoon, Graham. Good afternoon. Thank you guys for being there, John. Great to hear your voice again. We've crossed paths any number of time over the past 20 years. Oh, yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I just wanted to bring to your attention, uh, there was a change of hands for Newcastle Marine and Newcastle, Maine, and they are doing some amazing stuff there. I heard this, and I heard it from Richard Stanley. Well, and if Richard <laughs> Stanley pays you a compliment, that's a compliment, because Richard can be hard-pressed for giving, <laughs> giving out compliments. And he said well, that... So tell me about this this place, because what's his last name? It's Blood, isn't it? <laughs> I believe so. And, of course, you know, I work for uh, the local newspaper covering Lincoln County, and yep. we did a great big article. Well, not a great big article, but an article on it, and I should be able to quote things, but because I sell the ads, you know, I can't remember who, what, when, where. But Mickey Finn is there. That's okay. a very nice sailboat. That's being some restoration work being done on it. One of those schooners also that is pressed into service. They've got some great stuff, and I know on your next trip you'll probably pop in there. Yeah, because Richard's going to make me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll follow up because I'm a little bit closer in the neighborhood. Well, actually, he's down to Brunswick doing some stuff, isn't he? Yeah, and it, it won't be long before he moves down to Yarmouth because he's going to work on Iroquois again. So, okay, good. Yeah, she's good. sitting As long in, as he, he, doesn't, he, he doesn't keep moving further south and end up in Massachusetts. Oh, no, he wouldn't do that. <laughs> Good. Hey, listen, I got to, you know, go split some firewood and wash the dog and make dinner. Okay. Thanks, you guys, for being there. Always great to tune into the show, and I'll, I'll pledge under your, uh, your show next year. All right. Okay, over and out. <laughs> Thank you. 469-0500 or boattalk at gmail.com. So what else do I got to talk about? Um, so why did you pick Simpson? I, he seemed like a nice guy, and and we communicated well together. And uh, had he designed much else before? He'd done steel, steel hull. So yeah. it was a steel hull, and and uh, and we we lived in Port Townsend, Washington, right so then. We, so we were, we were close. Right. Yeah. 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 You didn't like wood, huh? Oh, I've <laughs> been with, with wood. We had a lot of wood on the boat. Right. <laughs> and. Um, but for what you're going to do with it, going around the world, it probably is a little better to have steel. 
Well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I, I've, I've lost a boat before on a reef, and uh, a lot of things out there floats in them and jets them flying around, and you get uh, trees coming off the Amazon, I mean, the uh, yeah Amazon River, and, you know, it's, there's a lot of container ships that lose things. Lose things. I mean, you, the fiberglass boat could, could sink it easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had previously... Simultaneously, when I was building the boat, wrote a book called Steel Away about steel sailboats because I did years of research on that and sailed on some, and I just became a, a, a steel boat guy. And um, just see a very solid, secure way to go that can easily be repaired. And, um, and with epoxy coatings, you can make them sealed up real nice. Right. Um, so, so we went that way and uh, had no regrets. Anything you would change in it? Oh, little things you think of here and there, but nothing really significant. Right. Yeah. But it sailed well she, for you. She was a 43-foot catch, and yeah, she sailed very well. Yep. Yeah. And you got jig, jib and jigger and different options you can do with sails, and we had storm soles and everything, so mm-hmm. we could pretty much, um, instead of having a very tall rig like a lot of these sloops are these days, you know, you had something that's good for cruising. Right. And uh, worked out very well. Yeah, when when we uh, sailed over the top in Australia, um, over to Darwin, I can't remember the name of the bay right now. Carpentera. Carpentera, right. Uh, Carpentaria. When we got into port, uh, the other boats who had sailed with us were all moaning and groaning about it being a wash wash tub, I mean washing machine and really rough. And we hadn't even noticed it because 34, 34 tons of steel just kind of sat down and went forward. Powered its way through. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's a very Stable. she was very very comfortable boat. Right. Yeah. Good performance. Yeah. So um, you uh, your cat Chowder <laughs> now now passed on um, was there for the beginning of the construction I believe from reading your first boat. Um, was she actually part of it? Did she go actually show up at the boat, or you just leave her home until it was ready to go? Well, when we were building the boat, she we had a Kwanzaa hut that we built right next to the house. Okay, so and, she and, is right and, there. And she, she'd come out and visit, uh-huh. walk around the boat while we were working on her. Yeah. So she got to a little firsthand knowledge of it. And, yeah. and then when we did sail away, we had a pile of stuff in the living room, and she got worried that we were going to leave without her. <laughs> She'd sit on the pile of stuff and make sure you take me. <laughs> and so we, we brought her on board, and she did real well. And, and then as time went on, of course, she when you get out to sea, things started moving differently, and she got a little concerned. And, and things got more intense at different times. She, yeah. She'd get more experiences and, and uh, had to adapt. And, and no obvious seasickness. She never seemed to get seasick uh, uh, per se. I mean, if she's if the boat's healing way over and she's trying to go on up the windward side and she's sliding claws digging <laughs> in, trying to slide and slide down yeah, across the, the bar. Side. So, yeah. And once going beating to windward, she, I used to lay in the forecastle because I was up in the bow and I would lay down, take a little rest there, and she'd come up and lay on my tummy, and we'd got to be there. But the bouncing got really intense, and boom, I'd go up off the bunk and come down, and she'd fly up and boom, came down on my tummy, and we'd be booping up and down, and finally we said, heck with this, and go back to the aft cabin and, and sleep there. 
sort of a catapult. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> a little catastrophe on a minor scale. Catastrophe, yes. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't want to get catatonic, so. <laughs> yeah. She she learned a lot, and uh, of course, never de- liked lightning storms and things like that. Yeah, those were her worst. Uh, yeah, uh, I can't say as I do either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you always wonder what happens if we get hit. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. what's going to break? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had that experience yeah. uh, in the Indian Ocean, uh, eight-hour lightning storm, and it was a localized eight cluster. Hours. Eight hours, intense bolts all over ahead around us, mm-hmm. and it was along near the equator. And it was just a localized uh, trough that followed us. We found out later a boat 30 miles to the north didn't have anything. It was fine weather, light winds, but didn't have any lightning. So it was a local cluster, and we were right in the middle of it. And just had to, we decided just to keep going straight to the Maldives at that time. And uh, it stayed with us for a long ways. I think it moved along with us or something. But <laughs> it did. We, yeah. we thought the mast, we kept looking up to see, is it still there? You know, they were intense. Did you ever get hit? No, never nope. got hit. Yeah. Disconnected the electronics and the steel boat, we got negative ions, so we figured maybe that's helping us. So. Oh, you're probably yeah. dissipating. Yeah. 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 But you can yeah. only exist at that level of fear for so long. Mm. And, you know, then it, it kind of normalizes, and we started rating them. Oh, that was a 13, <laughs> at least a 13. The, the lightning strikes, you yeah, mean, yeah. Yeah, huh. yeah. It just, it just became part of the evening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's interesting psychologically how that stuff works. Yeah. You really can only exist, you know, yeah. at a high yeah. level for so long. I don't know that much about meteorology, but I believe I've heard <clears> sometimes where rather than coming down to the ground, mm-hmm. the lightning will go from cloud to cloud to cloud. You can hear yeah. it sort of yeah. come and go over you and yeah. then keep uh, on going. Yeah. Yeah, no, this this was definitely coming down, not to ground, but mm-hmm. to water. Yeah. yeah, it was, yeah. Huh. yeah. What's your favorite port? Where, where was the favorite place to go? You did a lot in the Southern Ocean, in the Pacific, yeah. right? <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, we always end up getting, that was one of the three questions, pirates, uh, favorite places and storms. Um, Kapinga Marengi and this, and uh, just north of the equator in the Western Pacific was probably our it's, favorite place. That it's the top, topmost point of the Polynesian <laughs> Triangle. Mm-hmm. And the second best would be Rapa Nui or Easter Island, mm-hmm. which is the furthest east of the Polynesian Triangle. So could you figure out who made those, the, the statues? Because um, <laughs> that's always been I a know. contention. Yeah. Still a mystery. It's still a mystery. They really yeah. don't know. I mean, we've we wandered around among them. In fact, we've got some photos of me standing on one. Right. And they're they're huge, they're yeah. huge. But how they moved them, magic. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of, kind of what the locals say. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah, don't know. Levitated there somehow, but I mean, they've since then there's been a lot of studies and they talk about getting ropes and walking them and sort of yeah. you know. But right. I don't know, it's still a mystery. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. But we we slept in some of the craters and explored some of the caves with little bones in them and saw a lot of the old markings from the Birdman cult. And and the history is quite unique between yeah. the uh, long ears and the short ears. And and everybody claims to be a descendant of the one of those. Right, but, yeah. And, but, we, but we made our own history on Rapa Nui mm-hmm. because it's a... It's an open roadstead, except that there's a small harbor called Hangapiko, 
which is mainly a fishing boat harbor. But when we were there, um, which was 20 years ago, they were letting yachts in the harbor. And uh, so there were, what, six of us in there, and we were pretty much rafted together, but with um, anchors out, bow anchors out. Lines to shore. Lines to shore in the stern. Uh, and a big storm came up in the Southern Ocean and threw up uh, swells at the entrance to this harbor. And um, I, it was like 20-foot swells coming into it. And the whole, this whole, what did we figure out how many tons that raft was? Well, well we were 34 well, tons. Right. And there were six boats. Still, still rafted together. Still rafted yeah. together. So swinging, got boom. There's a narrow, back out. narrow channel. The surge would come in with each wave. You could see the waves breaking outside on the shore, and huge breakers coming in. And then when that swell came up inside, it would create a big surge and push everything up, flooded, flooded over mm. the docks and everything. Mm. And mm. we'd all be, and the lines would snap, and things would creak and yeah. break, and. Some of the native people swam out with a big, huge hawser yeah. and put it around our boat because we were yeah. the biggest boat on the outside. They swam out. In the <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, the women prayed, went down and prayed. And the uh, gods would yeah. I'd be praying too. <laughs> Luca Surira Roku yeah. was the man who swam that hawser out. Really? So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a test to see which, which hull will collapse first. Yeah. Interestingly, yeah. there was little damage. You know, uh, rails, rails snapped and things like that, but um, uh, nothing that wasn't easily repairable. My bollard. Bullard on the end had had three lines going short and anchor dragging here, but the arm on the bollard bent. Ooh, so there was yeah. a lot of force there, and it was a flimsy fiberglass boat. To the next of us, all his cleats pulled out, but mm -hmm. yeah. we didn't have that problem. But you know, yeah, little stuff here and there, yeah. but basically we made it pretty well. Was he poorly constructed? Yeah, what what design is that? I'm trying to think. Is that, <laughs> I don't remember. That cheap French design. Yeah, I don't. Jeannot um, uh, was one of them. Yeah, that's not ringing a bell. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, it all worked out in the end, and then we had to organize a, a thank you feast. A big party. Feast <laughs> where they had to get a cowboy or sorts to go out and get the cow and the women to cook up and gather things and all this stuff. And it was the first time all the – we invited everybody, the, the – the upper class and the lower class, the fishermen and everybody to a big feast and party afterwards. And it was a, it was the only time that that's ever happened, I think. And, and they, they told stories that, about at it. At that point. For, yeah. At that point, anyway. Yeah. They told stories about it for years afterwards. But So they usually it, usually it, didn't co-mingle the, uh, well, the working class and the... Well, the, this yeah. was the... the, yeah. the huh. it, of yeah. course, is a dependency of Chile. And, yeah. you know, the Chileans kept their distance from huh. the, the Rapa Nui folks. So... They all came together, and we had a great party. Yeah. There was also, right then, there was a film crew on the island. They were filming a Kevin Costner movie called, Rapa I Nui. believe it was called Rapa, Rapa Nui. It yeah. was a terrible movie, unfortunately. <laughs> we saw it much later when we got back. But um, they brought some, um, some gear down that they secured behind us that we could tie to this climbing gear of some sort that helped stabilize the raft. <laughs> But it does show you one thing about it, though. That storm happened way off below New Zealand somewhere. So there's this big storm down there, and the swell that sends, it's like a tsunami in a yeah. sense. It'll send enough of a ripple all the way thousands of miles away to Easter Island, and then when it hits the shore and it builds up, 
big yeah, wave. Right. Yeah, yeah. When, you know, when the so bottom pushes it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Many possibilities and yeah. and and. Uh, and well, but our the, the the place that Lee was talking about, Kapinga Morangi, is in north of the equator. It's part of the Federated States of Micronesia, and. Um, you know, it was another amazing Polynesian island um, where we were easily able to communicate because a lot of the people <clears throat> were had gone to school in the States because of the relationship between um, the Trust Territory of the Pacific after World War II and the U.S. So there were a lot of people who spoke English, which mm. was lovely. Yeah. And they, they lived, they were just the most beautiful people. They, they lived in the, what you call the third world or the first world. I mean, it's they, the first world they, as far they, as I'm they, concerned. They, they had outboards, <laughs> but I mean, they lived in the thatched huts. They all come together and build their huts in one day for a family. And then everybody would share and work together. And, and their traditional values were all there. Um, if they ran out of, if they ran out of gas for the outboard, They'd put the sails up in their canoes and use that. And they might have a aluminum bowl to eat their soup or food out of, but they'd have a leaf or a spoon, you know. So mm -hmm. they'd use nature and be close to nature and yet take it or leave it, whatever the first world uh, would bring them. Uh, and they're just warmest people. From the day we were getting ready to leave, yeah. um, we were there a month, and then not too many boats go there. No. Um, and it's off the it's off the cruising route. Yeah, we made some good friends, and um, we said we, we had a native help us in their language because they, they didn't all speak English. No, they were Polynesian. Yeah, and and tell them that we're going to be leaving the next day, and we'll blow the horn and wave goodbye. Well, when the time came, we blew the horn. All the people came down to the beach to wave goodbye, <laughs> and it was like, yeah. oh, oh, what a yeah. heart, heartwarming and, thing! You know, right. we yeah. were way out to the horizon, kept going, and going. They're still on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Do you ever go down into the Arctic or Antarctic? No, but Sheila communicated with a lot of them, <laughs> uh, a lot of that world. I was you a ham radio try. operator. Yeah. And um, we, at some point, connected with a woman in Iowa. I um, uh, oh, can't remember her call sign anymore. Mm. But um, she was part of a group that stayed in contact with the folks who were overwintered. Um, at McMurdo yep. in the in the Antarctic, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they could patch phone calls in from, um, on the on the radio from the folks at McMurdo to their family in the states. And I don't I don't remember now how I got hooked up with Glenna, but um, we she patched phone calls to us from like the middle of the Pacific to our families. Uh, you know, did some patch phone calls. Right. And then we ended up when we were in Samoa. One of the guys that we had talked to. At McMurdo was stationed um, at some geologic outfit in um, in American Samoa, so we actually got to meet the guy that we had mm. talked to on the radio in Antarctica. It's a small world. Oh, it is. <laughs> it is. We stayed pretty much in the tropics, except for New Zealand's probably the further south we went. Australia. Uh, yeah, Australia. Yeah. yeah. But uh, where'd you where'd you go in Australia? We entered in Cairns and then went up the, uh, the inside the Great Barrier Reef and <coughs> over the top and right. went as far as Darwin. And from there, we, we headed to Indonesia to spend about four or five mm -hmm. months in Indonesia. Um, How long did you cruise for? 
It was um, six and a half years. Yep. Yeah. 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 You miss it? Mm, yeah, yeah. There's, yeah, yeah. There's some places. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's simple. Yeah, <laughs> and I, in retrospect, we did it at exactly the right time. Mm-hmm. We did it before there was internet, so we did not come into a port and go around frantically listening, looking for a signal so that we could check our email. Oh, yeah, it was pre nine eleven. It was pre nine eleven also. So mm-hmm. in Indonesia, it was. I, you know, I don't know how it is now, but you know, there was no problem being an American. There was problems not being a Muslim. I got spit at once, but because um, my skirt was too short or something. Oh no, it was my sleeves. My sleeves weren't long enough. But you know, I'm I'm sure after 9/11 that that was a major change in attitude. Mm-hmm. So I mean, we were warmly welcomed by the Indonesian people. Warmly welcomed. In some places, like in. Um um, Vanuatu, they would uh, come up and thank us for saving them during World War II. Yeah. I said, well, I wasn't even born then. And he said, no, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <But> <laughs> it's okay. They, they yeah. were uh, very appreciative yeah. of, you know, it, and they actually had a cult there that was started. Oh, no, we're all set. No, we're a okay. cult that was started uh, called the John Fromm. John Fromm. John Fromm. And it's wh- a car- what's called ca- a cargo cult. Cargo cult. During World War II, when the Americans came and they said, oh, we've got to drop supplies down on these islands and set up base or whatever, they'd fly over and they'd drop stuff from the sky. And then these primitive natives, primitive social, uh, would come and find this cargo and there was cans of food and all this <laughs> stuff and like dropping out of heaven and they're like, what the heck? And so they, 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 they sort of got together and worshipped this uh, <laughs> yeah. guy, John, yeah. that came down from one of the planes and... and uh, Created a, you know, we'll hopefully come back sometime again. And, you know, where did John come from? Yeah. So, I don't know, they started this group yeah. that kind of worshipped him and still going. Uh, it, it was an amazing time because I think what we discovered was so many wonderful people and that there really is not a difference between us. Right. You know, we, we throw up all these seemingly important differences about class and age and all that kind of stuff, it, there's no difference. There's right. no difference at all. Well, and, like, like when you had that party in the, uh, the yeah. upper class and yeah. the worker class yeah. co-mingled, it's a fine example. Yeah. I'm glad you did that. Yeah. yeah. Well, one thing, the common, one of the two common things is food and music. And people, I mean, it's just a thing that brings people together. I mean, we We'd be uh, Tonga. They'd bring you in and they'd want to have a feast with you. Have you come sit down? And they'd make you sit down first before they. <laughs> sometimes they wouldn't even eat. They let you eat first. And yeah, I said, "Wait a minute, what's it going?" It's just the way the bonding is, and they're simple, being close to nature. And a lot of people in this country don't realize what a lot of the world is like. And, and I think when you travel like uh, we did, you really get to see the backyard of of of, of the human nature. The best thing about traveling on a boat is we had a home to invite people to so that Uh, we could pay back their hospitality. Yep. And I think that made made a huge difference in terms of the experience. Their experience of us and our experience of them was that we could could give back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it must be interesting when you sail like that to go into these different ports Mm because you really don't know what you're getting into. No idea. 
And a lot of us, we don't really know much about them at all. You know, some of us who've read some of the stuff mm -hmm. might know a little bit, but, you know, that was one thing I thought we were missing at Maine Maritime Academy mm -hmm. was not um, being taught a lot about foreigners mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. what is important to them as opposed to us mm -hmm. so that we had an understanding when, you know, a merchant vessel goes into a port to understand. Yeah, I always made a point of studying the history of each area before we get there. Mm -hmm. And we did have the Seven Seas Cruising Association, SSCA. which SSCA, which did provide previous cruises a bit, and they'd say, "Oh, this was nice, or this wasn't so good." So you get a little idea. And then the radio contact, lots of times, would be other cruisers out there, and they'd say, "Oh, watch out for the Southern Philippines. There's some bad guys up in that area." So you'd have a little bit of information here and there, but sometimes you'd hit places where nobody knew nothing. Right. So yeah. you, you just kind of wing it and go on good nature and, and warm heartedness mm -hmm. and being able to be friendly to people and, and mm -hmm. uh, trust we, in your own. We student. also, we always went in with a smile. We all we always learned how to say hello and thank you. Right. Mm -hmm. In the local language. And so I'll say to you guys for the program and the programming that you do, Talofa. <laughs> well, thank you. That's a good wrap-up. We only have just a few seconds left before we have to make room for um, the next show coming up at 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock. So this is Alan Sprague for Boat Talk along with John Johansson. Thanks for the good phone calls today. It's great to have people calling in. It's always interesting to hear other people. And thanks to... Uh, that, way, that way we know people listen to us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thanks to Pippin down in the engine room for keeping things going. Arr, <laughs>